Hey there, and thanks for listening to our podcast. Our mission at Hope is to invite everyone to find Jesus and help them move toward the center of God's purpose for their life. Here's this weekend's message. Well, good morning and welcome. All of, all of, I thought somebody's clapping for me. I say, that's awesome. First of all, yeah, stop, stop, keep coming. Hey, welcome to all of our campuses, all of you watching online. Um, last week of our series called Yearbook, and, and let me just catch up if you're, if you're just uh, joining us for this last message. Um, it's really simple. We're looking at, calling this the Yearbook, looking back in the Old Testament story, or at the Old Testament story of the children of Israel uh, being brought out of Egypt, which represented slavery, bondage. Actually, it was slavery, bondage, but in spiritually sen- spiritual sense for us, slavery, bondage into the land of promise, okay? So uh, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the, the last four books of the Pentateuch, which is the Torah, which is the first five books, is, is that story, okay? So from Exodus to Deuteronomy, it's that story. So Joshua as well. Well, over the last few weeks, here's where we've been in this yearbook series. Week one, we talked about the least likely to succeed, and, and the whole story of that was Moses and his challenges and the messes that he made in his life, yet God came calling to use him. And many times in our lives, we look at our lives and the messes that we've made, and we think that perhaps God can't use us. We don't know enough. We've done too much wrong or bad stuff. We have a past. But I want you to know today that God can take the messes of your past and use it for his glory in your future, if you'll just let him. So that was week one. Uh, Second week, we talked about a field trip gone bad, okay? We talked about the Red Sea parting. We talked about um, the the water and the manna, uh, the, the food. They were out of food. They were out of water. God provided a miracle. We talked about a battle miraculously where they won because of God. And then the golden calf, and, and it was, they, all of those things were challenges for the people of Israel, and, and we just, we looked and learned. The, last week, we talked about making the cut, and we talked about the 12 spies that were sent into the promised land early in their exodus of Egypt. Ten of them came back with a fear message. Two of them came back with a faith message. And the faith message made the cut. The fear message did not make the cut. So where are we living our lives? Are we living our lives in the, in the, in, in the realm of fear, or are we living our lives in the realm of, of faith? Today, I want to talk about class reunion. So what we're going to do is take the characters of the three that we've talked about, some of the characters, I should say, and we're going to look at their lives as you know, in a yearbook, you look back and you see some of the, the, the popular people that got this or that or most athletic or whatever. We're going to take a look at their lives and see how we uh, can learn from them. <clears throat> and then we're going to give you a big idea of the whole series, okay? So we're going to look at some characters of the stories, events, and then we're going to give you the bottom line for the whole series, okay? So that's where we're going. Now, how many have ever gone to your class reunion, high school class reunion? Let me see your hands. If you've gone to a class reunion. Okay, now, I don't know about you. I, I went to one, our 10-year class reunion. 1994 was our 10-year 
I'm coming up on, I've just finished 37 years class. Isn't that crazy? Golly, I'm just so old. But uh, you mean, I look at that, I'm 37 years. That's crazy. Um, 10 years. Now, because you don't know me, most of you, you only know me from the stage, um, most of you might think that, you know, I am uh, an extrovert. I am the life of the party. You know, John walks in and everybody goes, "Ah, John's here. Not so much, okay? I promise you, not so much. I mean, even on my team, our staff here come in, they're like, oh, hey, John. And it's like, guys, same thing at our 10-year reunion. It was a beating, let me just tell you. I'm shy, both Melissa and I are shy, and so we walk in, it's, you know, kind of a big room, there's a big bar set up with all kinds of drinks and stuff, and then just a little bit of food, and then tables. And so, you know, I walk in hoping to see, you know, immediately see somebody I know. Oh, no, I didn't recognize hardly anybody. And I'm just like standing there with my water, just looking around. Melissa and I looking around in the corner, like, like, okay, let's leave. Talk to a few people, and then actually left, right? Now, in this reunion, class reunion, we're just going to take a look at some of the important people um, that we can learn from. Here are the, here's the list that we're going to look at today. Moses, people of Israel, Joshua and Caleb. Now, I know that we've already rehearsed these. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to go quickly through the highs and lows of each character. What were their highs? What were their lows? How do we learn from that? And then we're going to come with the bottom line. Okay, that's the outline for today, and then we'll pray together. Let's go with the number one um, character, and that's Moses, and his high was humility. Numbers chapter 12 says this, now Moses was very humble, more humble than any other person on earth. Now, the interesting thing about Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, in the Jewish Bible called the Torah, the Pentateuch, Uh, it is thought that Moses wrote most of that. So Moses wrote this about himself, the most humble, right? I mean, this, and I don't know that he actually did, but this is widely accepted that Moses wrote most of the, the, the Torah. And so let's just presume that Aaron threw this in there, okay? Or, you know, Joshua or whatever. Now, Moses was very humble, more humble than any other person on earth. But the reality of that is, we know that to be true. I don't know about earth, Bible says it was, so that he was, so that's great, but there is some great things about the leadership of Moses. Moses wasn't the type A leader. Moses wasn't the, I'm going to come take charge, everybody's going to follow me, let's go, let's go. He was reluctant. He had to be coursed into him, he had to be talked into taking this job. He didn't really want, he was asking, hey God, can you get somebody else to do it? But he turned out to be a phenomenal leader. The New Testament is filled with references to Moses and how great he was. So the high of Moses' leadership or his life was that of humility. He wasn't cocky. He wasn't overly confident. He wasn't arrogant. He wasn't a demanding leader. He was a, he was a, a person who accepted the call of God on his life, even though reluctantly He was a person who led God's people well and cared for them, even when they were rebellious and and crazy. And he led fearlessly, even in some of the toughest times. Great job and great leader. However, the low for Moses, interestingly enough, was anger and pride. 
Moses did so well through most of the 40 years of his leadership. But there was a story, and there is a story that we're going to go to in Numbers chapter 20 that reveals another, just another side of Moses that, that took root in one event. Numbers chapter 20, let's take a look. There was no water for the people to drink at that place. So this is the second time this has happened. They've been in the wilderness one time it happened, and, and uh, God provided uh, water through the rock. Moses struck the rock with his staff, and water came gushing out, and they had their fill of water. This is the second time it would happen. There was no water for the people to drink at that place, so they rebelled against Moses and Aaron. The people blamed Moses and said, if only we had died in the Lord's presence with our brothers. Why have you brought the congregation of the Lord's people into this wilderness to die, along with all of our livestock? Why did you make us leave Egypt? And this is a common theme with the people of Israel. Why did you make us leave Egypt? Why did you take us out of slavery and bondage? And bring us here to this terrible place. This land has no grain, no figs, no grapes, no pomegranates, and no water to drink. Well, the Lord would, Moses was freaked out, and he was like, oh my Lord, what are we going to do? And the Lord says, okay, Moses, I'm going to take care of you. I want you to do, I want you to speak to the rock, and water's going to come out. It's going to reveal my holiness. I want you to speak to the rock, and water's going to flow. Here's what Moses did. So Moses did as he was told. He took the staff from the place where it was kept before the Lord. Then he and Aaron summoned the people to come and gather at the rock. Listen, you rebels. So Moses is getting a little ticked, right? You ever been, at, you better, you ever been in a, you know, uh, maybe you're a fourth grade lead in, in your school. Maybe you're a principal. Uh, maybe you're a hospital administrator, maybe you are some kind of team leader in your office, and you're, you, I mean, there's times in which you're just like, you just want to tell everybody off. You ever been there? I've never been there. I have a great staff, wonderful staff, never, never uh, uh, get me riled up. But Moses has had his fill, and he's going, you rebels, you, he shouted, listen to this, must we bring you water from this rock? We'll come back to that in a minute. Then Moses raised his hand and struck the rock twice with the staff, and water gushed out. So the entire community and their livestock drank their fill. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust me enough to demonstrate my holiness to the people of Israel, you will not lead them into the land I am giving them. This place was known as the waters of Meribah, which means arguing, because there the people of Israel argued with the Lord, and there he demonstrated his holiness among them. Here's the point, the low of Moses. There's not many of them, but the low of Moses was that not only it was his anger, because I think many of us know, if you know the story of Moses, his anger, and that's what held him back from leading them into the promised land. Joshua would come up after Moses, and he would actually be the leader to lead them to the promised land. But I don't think it's just his anger. I think there was some pride. You remember he goes, hey, should we? You know, you rebels, you want Aaron and I to give you the water? He would take something that was not his. And that's credit. As if, as if Moses had any power to make water flow from a rock any more than I do or you. 
But there was this glimpse, there was this moment event, maybe it was out of frustration and anger, but nonetheless, Moses would take something that did not belong to him in a prideful way, says, you, you want me to perform another miracle for you? And God will not share his glory with anyone. He will not share in his holiness with anyone. And this was the low point. Now, Moses is fine, okay? Moses is in heaven. We know he's a patriarch of the faith, and, and, and we know that he's, he's just good right now. But the low of his life was this moment of pride and anger. You ever, you ever have moments like that? We look back at these characters to learn. Now, the second group of, of people that we're going to look at, or this, the, the, the next, is the people of God. And their high, as, as much as I don't want to say it, is faith. And the reason is because when you look at the people of Israel, if you've read through Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and you see the amount of times that the people of Israel are complaining murmuring, rebellious. I mean, I'm like with Moses. I'm like, you rebels. We find this in their lives. But there's a place in the Bible that calls out their faith. The New Testament writers of, writer of the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, would say it like this. You ready? It was by faith that the people of Israel went through right through the Red Sea, as though they were on dry ground. But when the Egyptians tried to follow, they were all drowned. It was by faith that the people of Israel marched around Jericho for seven days, and the walls came crashing down. It was by faith. Now, we, we have to take into consideration before we're so hard on them, because we're a lot like them, but they had the faith to leave their homes in Egypt and follow a man that they didn't know named Moses. They had the faith to fight in battles. They had the faith to follow Joshua after Moses. So these people had something going for them. There was a faith that was in them. However, their low was as equally, um, it was equally important as far as observation, and that is attitude and rebellion. I'm going to go through six passages just real quick, just to show you a glimpse. This is only in the book of Numbers. Okay, so here's their story as it relates to attitude and rebellion. Let's start with Numbers chapter 11. Soon the people began to complain about their hardship. You ever done that? I'm not talking about traffic on the tollway. I'm talking about, you know, you literally, you, you know, you're going through or walking through a hardship. And many of, of you have walked through, many of us have walked through some pretty dark times, some pretty challenging times. What is your response to those challenging times? Is it like the children of Israel who began to complain? Why me? God, this isn't fair. Now, God's not intimidated by your questions. He's not intimidated by your attitude. But I think we learned something from them. Next verse says it this way. Then the whole community began weeping aloud, and they cried all night. Their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. Again, here's the theme. If only, <coughs> excuse me, we had died in Egypt, or even here in the whole wilderness, they complain. Why is the Lord talk, taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and little ones are, will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to, there's again that theme. And I think many of us, we have this, this theme of like, man, 
I'm just going to do what I know, know to do. I'm just going to do what I want to do. Then they plotted among themselves, let's choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. Chapter 16 says it like this. One day Korah, son of Izhar, a descendant of Kohath, son of Levi, conspired with Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and on, and on son of Peleth, from the tribe of Reuben. That was a mouthful, <laughs> let me tell you. They incited a rebellion. Listen to this. They recited a rebellion against Moses, along with 250 other elders or leaders. This is a constant theme. Verse 41, but the very next morning, the whole community of Israel began muttering again against Moses and Aaron. Chapter 20, verse 3 says it like this, the people blamed Moses and said, if only we had died in the Lord's presence with our brothers. Chapter 21, verse 1, but the people grew impatient with the long journey. And they began to speak against God and Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die here in the wilderness? Again, another thing they complained. This is, you, you get the picture. And, and when you read some of this, I'll be honest, there, there was like this, this like self-righteousness that rose up in me. Like, I mean, you ungrateful brats. After miracle after miracle after miracle, the Lord has provided for you and come through for you every time, even in your rebellion and even in your mess. And yet you continue. I mean, it's the same thing over and over. Why did we come here? Why did you lead us here? Conspiring against the leader, you know, all those things. And it was a very low point or low part of their lives. In fact, more than faith, I would just submit that they lived more in the anger, in the rebellion, in the attitude side than they ever did in the faith side. Many of us can relate. Third, third is Joshua and Caleb. Now, these are the two spies that came back from the 12 that said, we can take the land. And their high was faith and courage. Let's, let's just read it together. This is uh, Numbers. But Caleb tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. So the people were saying, the, the other 10 spies were saying, we can't take it. They're fortified cities. Their armies are too great. They're, they're huge. They're giants. We're, we're so small compared to them. There's no way we can go take the land. And Caleb was like, no, let, let's go at once. Both Joshua and Caleb are saying this. He said, we can certainly conquer it. And that's, we talked about this last week. They would make the cut to get into the promised land. In fact, Joshua would actually be the leader after Moses. And he would actually be privileged to lead them into the promised land. Caleb would go with Joshua. And their faith would see them through. They had a perspective. And they were, they were looking back at all the miracles that they saw from, the, from Egypt and, and getting out of Egypt. Uh, the Red Sea battles, all the things that God did for them, they were like, hey, I know they're big. I know that they're fortified cities, and it's going to be a, a tough thing, but God is with us, right? God is with us in this thing. Uh, I, I think it's a, it's a real good example of, of, of some of us going through struggle, struggles and, and, and maybe some dark seasons and maybe some tough seasons. We didn't ask for this stuff coming. We didn't ask for this hard time. But instead of, of operating in the, in the children of Israel with, with this spirit of fear, 
they had faith and courage. They said, well, no, I, you know what? God is with us. And even though it's hard right now, and even though that seems insurmountable, we can do this. Now, I looked hard for a fault, for a low, for Joshua and Caleb, and it's difficult to find. Even after this event, Joshua and Caleb are coming before the people saying, we can take the land, faith and courage that would get them, make the cut, they'd be able to go into the land of promise. What would be the low? Even in Joshua's leadership, not much is said anything about, about the faults of Joshua or even Caleb. Caleb would go in with them and have land and nothing was really said about negative about them. Let me submit something that this is speculation, okay? This is just my uh, thoughts about a low that maybe they had, and, and that is this, a lack of influence. Now, remember back to the 10 spies and Joshua and Caleb before Moses and Aaron and the elders, and they're saying, we can't take it. Joshua and Caleb saying, we can. Chapter 13, verse 30. Let's look at this real quick. But the other men who had explored the land with them disagreed. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. And the people we saw there are huge. Even saw, we saw giants, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers. There's no way. Now, you ever been in a meeting, a staff meeting, maybe some kind of, of meeting where the, the leader is there presenting a challenge? Hey, we've got this challenge, we, we need this problem, we've got to tackle this. And around the table or around the conference room or in that meeting, there are some young newbies in the group, right? They're, they've not been with the company long, they've not been with the school long, they've not been in the hospital long, they've not been with uh, your, your team long. And, and uh, you know, usually when you are young or, or new, you keep your mouth shut and listen, right? And how many know those people who can't just, they just can't keep their mouth shut? Right? I mean, in a meeting where they should just be, they're, they're the newbies, they're the young people, and they're going, hey, we should do this, we should, and they just dominate the whole thing, right? And, and the people around the table are going, shut up. What are you doing? What are you saying? And, and you know why? Because they don't have any influence yet. And if you have that personality, I would just say to you kindly that maybe one of the lows of Joshua and Caleb was that they didn't have the influence yet with the rest of the, the, the leaders what if they would have used a little bit of diplomacy? What if they would have not been bulls in a china closet? What if they would have got with the leaders before they went to the people and said, hey guys, listen, totally get what you're saying. We, we saw the same thing. Really, really challenge, big challenge here. But let me remind you of what God did in Egypt. And let me remind you that God is with Moses, our leader. I mean, I know he's not perfect, but man, he is with him. We have won battles that we could not have won because of God. We have crossed through the Red Sea on dry ground because of God. We have eaten every day, every afternoon, and drank because of God. We have seen the miraculous hand and, and forgiveness of God. What if He is with us? He's the one who sent us out there. What if He's... You, do, you understand what I'm saying? What if they would have just stepped back for a minute and said, use some influence or gain some influence. Now, I'm speculating on this. I don't mean to throw bad stuff on them. I'm just saying that I think many of us know those kinds of, kinds of people who should listen rather than speak so soon. 
because of the influence thing. And it's the same thing that I, I preach all the time, social media. It's maybe in the context of relationship, you should withhold because you don't have that relationship yet. Does that make sense? Because you lose influence, right? You alienate. When you alienate people, when you dominate people, you lose influence. Just, just a thought, okay? Just a thought. Now, I've said all of that. Those are the highs and lows, the class reunion. We could have talked about Pharaoh. We could have talked about Aaron. We could have talked about Miriam. We could have talked about um, those kinds of people. But, but those are the three main characters that we wanted to look at in this yearbook series. Now, why would we put a series like this together, though? We're looking at an Old Testament story that happened thousands of years ago, and we're trying to apply it to our lives, and it's easy to do so because we're a lot like them. But what would be the bottom line? Why would we need to, to rehearse this story? Why would we need to look at the events of, of this story? I think there's a bottom line for this whole series when we look at the life of the least likely to succeed Moses or the field trip gone bad with the events that happened with the children of Israel in the very few months, first few months of their departure of Egypt. The, the 10 spies and the two that were faith and fear. What do we, what do we learn? What's the bottom line? Here's my, here's my thought. The bottom line is to remember the bottom line is to remember. We look back at Adam and Eve. We, we look back at Noah. We look back at Abraham. We look back at Isaac. We look back at Jacob. We look back at Joseph. We look back at Moses. We look back at David. We look back at Solomon. We look back at all these Old Testament events. We look back not because we want to be like them. We look back to remember. There are two remembers, okay, that I have. Two remembers. The first is this. Remember the lessons. Don't repeat the same mistakes as the children of Israel. Don't raise your hands, but how many just, you have that personality where you have to learn the hard way. How many your parents told you, don't touch that stove it's hot. But you are so smart, you know better than them, and you touch that stove and you learned the lesson yourself. Does it make sense? Some of you are like, no, I'm not touching that. Ooh, no way. Some of you are like, I'm touching that. I don't care what you say. And you know, it's, that's what we do. I mean, we, we, some of us don't, some of us do, right? The reason for this whole series, guys, is to remember the lessons that we learned from Moses, the lessons that we learned from the people of Israel, the lessons that we learned from Joshua and Caleb, so that we don't repeat them. Let me give you what Paul says about this. So significant. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Here's what Paul says about this. I don't want you to forget. In other words, I want you to remember. I want you to remember, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. All of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them, and all of them walked through the Red Sea on dry ground. In the cloud and in the sea, all of them were baptized as followers of Moses. All of them ate the same spiritual food, and all of them drank the same spiritual water. For they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them, and that rock was Christ. Interesting, right? 
interesting that the, the, the anyway, it, it, there's types and shadows in the Old Testament of, of Jesus. And this is one of them. That rock was a type of Christ. And Moses, disobeying the voice of God, struck that rock instead of speaking to that rock. Significant part of why the Lord responded the way he did. Yet God was not pleased with most of them. And their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. These things happened as a warning to us. Okay, listen, remember, remember, remember Lost in Space, those of you that are my age, and like, warning, warning, you know, the robot with, okay, so, so that we would not crave, crave evil things. So we look back to remember. We look back as a warning so that we won't crave the evil things as they did or worship idols as some of them did. As the scriptures say, the people celebrated with feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry. And we must not engage in sexual immorality, as some of them did, causing, we didn't even get to some of these stories, 23,000 of them to die in one day. Nor should we put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and then died from snake bites. And don't grumble, as some of them did, and then were destroyed by the angel of death. None of these we got to. We didn't even look, there's so many stories in this thing. These things happen to them as examples for us. Listen, we look back to remember. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. This is a significant understanding of why we look back and why the Old Testament is even part of the new. We don't live in the law. We're not under the law. We're not under and live in this, in this relationship with God of performance we're not in this relationship with God so that we can perform and we can walk in holiness in and of ourselves and righteousness so that he will accept us. No, 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 no. We don't live that way. So why would the Old Testament be included? Because it is a connected part of our faith. Because we look back at them. We look back as a warning not to, not to be like them, not to think of ourselves as like, yeah, we're just like them. Yeah, it's just, yeah, kind of Kind of it's a bummer to be us, but you know, we're just like the children of Israel. So we're just going to wander in the wilderness. No, no, no. We look back as a warning. We're not going to be perfect. No one is. But we look back and need to remember the lessons so that we don't repeat them. The lessons of attitude and rebellion and idolatry and sexual immorality and murmuring and complaining and lack of faith and fear and all those things. We look back to remember that's the first remember. This, now, this, now, listen, okay, let me, stop. I'm sorry, cameras. I, I freaked you out there. If you don't get anything else that I'm saying today, if you don't get anything else that I've said in this whole series, this has been a bore to you, okay? It's just been, oh my gosh. I, I, if you don't get anything else, I want you to get this. This second remember is very, very important for us to remember. Second, remember is this. Remember the difference between us and them. What do you mean, John? What, what is the difference between us and them? Because in many, you remember this, right? We, and how many times did I say, hey, do you see our story overlaying their story? Do you see the way in which we respond to crisis and challenges? Do you see the way in which we respond to uh, the difficulties in our lives? Do you see how much we're like them, right? I mean, there is a part of that yes that we need to look at. 
But there is a significant difference between us and them. Let me put it on the screen like this. Jesus and grace, Holy Spirit and transformation is greater than Moses and the people of Israel. Greater than the law. We have something that they did not have. We can look back at them and go, wow, man, there's a lot of tendencies there. I need to rely on what Jesus has done for me, and I need to walk in that transformation. When we cross that line of faith, when we give Jesus our lives, the Holy Spirit fills us, and He he begins that transformation from the old life to the new life. Old things pass away, and behold, all things become. That's a, that's a, a word that is uh, ongoing. We become new. From glory to glory, he is transforming us. That, that little caterpillar of our lives, sin and, and bondage and Egypt, is being transformed. People of Israel did not have that going on in their lives. The Holy Spirit was leading them by cloud, leading them by fire, but was not in them. So, so, so to compare ourselves and go, yeah, we're just like them. Yeah, I'm kind of, man, wow, it's amazing how much we're like them. Well, wow, guys, that's not a good thing. Does that make sense to you? That, I mean, the, the distance that should be, that should be a, a, a coming into play in our lives, the distance from them to what we want to be, The advantage, listen, the advantage that we have over their lives, the advantage that we have of looking back and learning, the advantage that we have, the Holy Spirit is transforming, is comforting, is leading, is convicting, is empowering, is gifting our lives. The grace that Jesus has has bought for us through his sacrifice on the cross and through his resurrection, life abundant, life eternal, we have way more than they ever thought of. So the distance between us and them should be expanding. We We don't look at their lives and go, yeah, man, I'm a complainer. Yeah, I guess if I were to... If I were to be honest, yeah, I'm kind of, every time something bad happens, I kind of go, God, why me? Guys, can I just tell you, I understand that. There's grace in all of this. So please understand there's grace in what I'm saying. But many of us have that, we live in the negative. We just live all the time in the negative. And I don't mean just attitude or I don't mean just our personality. I'm just talking about we allow ourselves to live more in the, the natural than we do the supernatural. We allow ourselves to live more in what we would call, the Bible calls the flesh, rather than the spirit. Let me explain Galatians chapter 5. Stay with me, stay with me. But we who live by the spirit eagerly await to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised to us. For when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, there is no benefit in being under the law. So, in other words, the, the advantage that we have is so much better, is so much greater. I don't know if you're a tennis 
uh, player. I don't know if, in, back when I was growing up in the 70s, Jimmy Connor and John McEnroe and Bjorn Borg, and, and I, mean, those, I, I mean, I grew up playing tennis, and so I was like, oh man, I love Bjorn Borg. I mean, his hair, is, I wasn't weird, but I was just saying, I, I mean, it was just like, he was so cool. And then John McEnroe come on the, came on the scene, and then Andre Agassi and Pete Sampras and, and all those people, right? Well, if we put a tennis match up here, and it would be me against any one of them, how many understand that would be an embarrassment? The advantage that they have would be so significant. Now, not true if I was the quarterback for the Cowboys. It would be kind of a, you know, apples to apples. <laughs> but do you understand what I'm saying here, though? It'd be like me going up against Dak Prescott or, 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 or Roger Staubach or, you know, whoever. It would be laughable, the advantage that they have, because they are so much better. They are so much more gifted. They are so much more knowledgeable. They have so much more experience. They have so much more football, tennis, baseball, whatever. There is no benefit of circumcision or being uncircumcised. What is important is faith expressing itself through love. Now, verse 19. When we indulge or live our lives in the negative, we live our lives in, in the natural, the flesh, here's what happens. The results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy. Does this sound like our culture? Does this sound like your life? In many ways, does this make sense? This is where they lived. This is where they struggled. I mean, you just couldn't get a handle on because it was hard. It was a human performance. It was, I am not going to do that. I am not, I am going to do what God says and I'm not going to do. Here, here's the, here's the, the second part of this. Uh, next verse. When, let me tell you again, as I've told you before, that anyone lived that sort of life not going to inherit the kingdom of God, but the Holy, listen, the Holy Spirit. Now, when we begin to walk in the supernatural, we, we begin to walk in what the Spirit transformation provides, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. The Spirit is so much greater than the law. John, what are you saying? I'm saying stop making excuses for ourselves. I'm saying the gap between the Old Testament stories and their way of living needs to be expanded. Not that we're perfect. Not, I'm not talking about legalism and weird kind of living and you know, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the, the, that we should stop making excuses. Oh, we're just like them. Well, we're, you know, we're in good company. No. The advantage that we have is so much more. So are you walking in the power of the Spirit that produces the things that we just talked about? Are you walking in the natural? And you wonder why you get so angry, and you wonder why you get so frustrated, and you wonder why you get so much like them. Do you understand what I'm saying? Drunkenness and wild living and parties and all that stuff. I'm not trying to be legalistic. I'm just telling you. What, what's going to be produced out of that? 
is bad stuff for your life. And you're going to be living more closely to their lives and where they were rather than living in the power of the Spirit that produces freedom, that produces love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control and all those things that there is no greater law. There is, no, there is nothing that could touch this. I know this is a hard message, right? You're like, I brought a friend today. Why are you holding us to a higher standard? Because, guys, we have so much more than they ever did. And many of us are settling for the natural. When all the while, He is transforming us to live in the supernatural. To live a life that is distanced from the frustrations and the anger and the rebellion and the attitudes of the Old Testament. Let us not look at them and go, ha, huh, we're just like them. We'll live there. No, let's distance ourselves because of the advantage that He's given us as we look back and learn and remember, but also remember the difference. So as a believer, I'm going to ask you to ask yourself the question, am I living more in the supernatural or am I living more in the natural? Spirit, or am I living in the flesh? New covenant, or am I living in the old covenant? Am I living more like them, or am I living more like Him? More like them, more like Him. One of the reasons why we're so immature in our lives is not because we're bad people, it's not necessarily because we're bad people. It's not necessarily because we're just trying to be rebellious. It's that you don't understand that you're sowing to the natural. You're sowing and doing things that, that, that are going to reap bad things for your life instead of sowing to the Spirit. In the next chapter, Galatians 6, Paul says that. He says, some of you are sowing to the flesh. You're sowing to the natural, and you're going to reap destruction. That's why your life is the way that it is. And I say that in grace. I'm talking to myself too. But that's why your life is the way that it is because you're sowing to things over here and you're living more in their world than you are the Spirit's world. Makes sense? That's the advantage. So which one? Where do you spend the most time? Where are you sowing as believers? Now, if you're here today, whatever campus, McKinney, Frisco West, Prosper, watching online, here at Frisco East, if you're not a believer, in other words, um, you, 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 you just don't know about this Jesus thing, you, you, you kind of have heard about this and, and, and there's a lot of things that make sense to you and some of them you don't know all the answers and you have questions, but the reality is, for, for years now, the Lord has been knocking on your heart's door. Every time you come to church, He's like knocking, saying, hey, I have something for you. And many of you have been raised in church, and you've never yet really surrendered your life to Jesus. You, you've never really said, I, I want a relationship with you, and I, I want to begin my journey. No better way as, to end this series than for you to say yes to His invitation to the table the table of faith, the table of the Spirit, the table of transformation to say, I don't understand all there is to know about you, but I do know this. I really believe that, Jesus, you are who you said you were and who they say you are, that you lived a life that I could not live and you paid the price on the cross that I could not pay. 
And through your death and through your resurrection, I have life right here, abundant and eternal. And I do believe that. And if that's you, whoever you are and wherever you're watching, I invite you to make that decision today. If you're a believer, ask yourself the question, what world are you sowing in? The natural or the supernatural? Father, by your word and by your spirit, I pray that you would divide between what we want and what you want, that you would reveal to us some of our heart. And I'm in this too. I'm in this too. We're just navigating this. And I don't want to be like them. I, don't want, I want that gap, that distance between the way they lived and the way they acted and between the way I live and act. I want that to be a big gap. And I want to leverage the advantage that you've given me. And I think most of us would say the same. To those who have never really yet accepted you and surrendered their lives to you and just said, Jesus, I believe in who you are and what you did. And I want to start my journey today. God, I pray that we would receive your forgiveness. We repent of our sins in the way of turning from that life to a new life. And that, God, you would do something remarkable and crazy in us and through us. May your kingdom come. May your will be done in our lives right here, right now, in both us as believers and those who are not yet believers, right now as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to Hope's Weekend Message. Visit hopefellowship.net and further connect with us by downloading the Hope app from the App Store or Google Play. Have a great day.